Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor, a Welsh Protestant minister, and one of the most brilliant and influential preachers in the 20th century as he pastored the Westminster Chapel in London for almost 30 years, from 1938 to 1969. He passed away in 1981. In his book, The Compelling Community, Mark Dever recounts asking Lloyd-Jones' daughter what the key to her father's long ministry was. And you might think she would cite his remarkable intellect or possibly his knowledge of the word or perhaps his oratory skills and ability to powerfully deliver a sermon. She could have commented on his commitment to sound doctrine and devotion to the true gospel. She could have referenced his love for the church and his desire to see sinners come to faith in Christ. All of these things were true of Lloyd-Jones and were certainly commendable. But when asked about the key to her father's long ministry, she provided a simple yet profound answer. She said, I don't think he ever got over his own salvation. He never stopped being surprised by it. That was the key to a long, fruitful, prolific preaching ministry. After decades of preaching God's word, he never got over the fact that God saved him. He never ceased to be amazed at the mercy and grace that God had shown him. It is the antithesis of self-righteousness. He fully understood that he did not earn his salvation, and therefore, he never stopped being surprised by his salvation. When you understand that you cannot earn God's favor, when you understand that you cannot justify yourself through obedience to God's law, you are amazed by God's grace. And Lord willing, it's something you never get over. I hope that is true of us. I hope we never get over our own salvation. I hope we never cease to be amazed by the grace God has shown us in Jesus Christ. I hope we never get tired of the gospel. I hope it never becomes commonplace for us. We are beginning a new sermon series going through the book of Galatians. Galatians was originally a letter written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a group of churches in the southern cities of the Roman province of Galatia, which is present-day Turkey. The occasion for the letter was that Paul had heard that the churches in Galatia had a serious problem. You see, it seemed as though they had gotten over their salvation. They were no longer rejoicing in and cherishing the gospel which Paul had proclaimed to them and they had received. Instead, they had turned to another gospel, which Paul pointed out was really no gospel at all. 
that word gospel means good news. And if they were believing other news, it really wasn't good. We read about Paul's initial missionary work in Galatia in Acts chapters 13 and 14, which took place around A.D. 46 and 47. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas arrived at Antioch in Pisidia and preached the gospel in in a Jewish synagogue. And Paul recounted the history of Israel and then drove home his point with these words about Jesus. He said, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. In his first sermon on record in Galatia, Paul spoke of being freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. We're going to see that that theme is significant in his letter that he wrote to the Galatians probably only a couple years after he preached that sermon. Many of the Jews in the city followed Paul and Barnabas, but as they continued to preach, they faced opposition from many other Jews in the city. And when they faced opposition from the Jews, we read, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. These verses tell us about the events and circumstances leading to and surrounding the beginning of the church in Galatia. Sadly, false teachers infiltrated the church shortly after Paul's departure and were leading Galatians away from the glorious truth of the gospel. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we see how the church began in Jerusalem with a large group of Jewish people. Jesus Christ had come in fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies and in fulfillment of God's promises to the people of Israel. Yet he did not come only for the Jewish people, but came as the Savior of the world. As the angel said when Jesus was born, his birth was good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And as the gospel began to spread from Jerusalem to other cities and regions, many non-Jewish people or Gentiles came to faith in Jesus Christ. The church became a mixture of Jews and Gentiles by God's design and according to his will. But sadly, this led to a great conflict in the early church. 
You see, in the Old Testament period, the people of God were primarily made up of one people group, the people of Israel. The Israelites, or Jews, were set apart in the world by the covenant the Lord made with them, including the laws and practices he commanded them to follow. Thus, key components of the law, including circumcision, observing the Sabbath, and eating kosher, were central to their identity as the people of God. When Jesus came into the world, he established a new covenant. And the good news was revealed that a person, whether Jew or Gentile, is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. However, some of the Jews in the church were not ready to let go of the Jewish practices and even went so far as to require Gentile Christians to practice circumcision. The conflict came to a head in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, when some man came to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were with the church, and said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas strongly opposed these men as their teaching undercut the truth that we are justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. The conflict led to the Jerusalem council where the matter was debated among the apostles and elders of the church. And the council concluded that circumcision was not in fact necessary for a person to be saved. Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia was likely written a year or two after his first missionary visit to the region, which again was probably about AD 46 or 47, but likely shortly before the Jerusalem council met and rendered their decision in AD 48. The reason that scholars think it was written before the Jerusalem council is because Paul did not reference the Jerusalem council in this letter. You see, the Jerusalem council... Jerusalem council backed up Paul's teaching. It backed up his position. If the council had already met, if that decision had already been handed down, almost certainly he would have referenced it and said, listen, you've got to believe me. Even all the apostles and elders have decided this in Jerusalem, but he makes no reference of that. Again, that's an argument from silence, but it seems to make sense that his letter was written before that council met. So it's therefore probably one of the earliest writings we have when it comes to the New Testament. It might be the earliest of all the books of the New Testament. It is an early testament to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The false teachers in Galatia were teaching a similar message as the men in Acts 15. Paul could hardly believe the report that the Galatians were falling for their message. He wrote and combated their false teaching with dynamic, life-changing gospel truth. He wanted the Galatians to reject any notion of works-based righteousness. He wanted them to keep in step with the truth of the gospel in belief and practice, enjoying the incredible freedom that we have in Jesus Christ as we live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote this letter with a sense of urgency. The subject matter was not insignificant, and a lot was at stake. He wrote with the heart of a pastor. He cared deeply for the brothers and sisters in Galatia. He cared about their understanding of the gospel and their faith. We have entitled our sermon series, Keeping in Step. 
And the idea of keeping in step is found twice in Galatians. The first reference is in chapter 2. Paul recounts how he had to confront Peter, the great apostle Peter, because his actions, his behaviors, contradicted the gospel. And Paul said his actions and his behaviors, which we are going to see in a few weeks, were not in step with the gospel. And so he called them out. He, he called out Peter and said, what you're doing contradicts the gospel. You're not keeping in step with the gospel. So there was a rebuke there so that Peter would realign his life, his actions, how he was living in accordance with the gospel. So what we see there is we as followers of Christ are, see, are to continually seek to apply the gospel to our own hearts and lives so that our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our attitudes are in line with the truth of the gospel. We want to ensure that we are keeping in step with the gospel. And the second reference comes in chapter 5. And that reference is in regard to the Holy Spirit. We're called to keep in step with the Holy Spirit rather than indulge the sinful desires of the flesh. We who are followers of Christ have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we are to walk in the Spirit. We are to keep in step with the Spirit. The idea of keeping in step with the truth of the gospel and the Spirit is of utmost importance to us. The book of Galatians is profoundly relevant for us today. Not because we have false teachers coming in saying, hey, if you want to be saved, you actually got to be circumcised. We don't have that problem here. That's not happening in the community around that. And even if we did, I don't think we would respond by saying, okay, well, I guess we better sharpen the knives, right? I think we get that. We understand that. That's not a particular unique threat, but it represents a problem. It represents a tendency in our hearts to move away from the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ toward self-righteousness toward justifying ourselves through our own obedience. You see, there's this internal temptation that we all have. There's that line, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And sometimes it's subtle. These subtle beliefs that we have that somehow, in some way, I'm righteous because of what I've done. Somehow, some way, I'm justified through my obedience. We need to actively guard against this and remind ourselves of the tremendous grace of God and the truth that we are not at all justified by works of the law. We're not righteous because of our own obedience. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We also face external pressure. We have the internal temptation to drift away from the truth of the gospel. We also have external pressure coming from outside of us. People questioning the truth of the gospel. People critiquing the truth of the gospel. People abandoning the gospel. Trying to cause us to doubt the truthfulness of the gospel. And therefore, we need to believe the truth. We need to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to us. 
So our hope and our prayer for our congregation is that the Lord will use our study of Galatians to fortify and enrich our belief in the true gospel so that we will enjoy freedom in Jesus Christ as we live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to pray to that end. Pray that the Lord will use this study in our church to that end. Today we are going to begin by covering chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. What we will see is that Paul's greeting, though brief, was no mere formality. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. First thing we see is the author. Paul identified himself as the author here in verse 1. He also identified himself as an apostle, but made a point to say he was not an apostle by man or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. It is helpful to know Paul's story to understand why he emphasized the divine origin of his calling to be an apostle. He was born, he was a Jew born in the city of Tarsus and was given the Hebrew name Saul. It wasn't until after he began his ministry to non-Jewish people that he began to go by his Roman name, Paul. At some point, Saul made his way to Jerusalem where he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, who was probably the most prominent and respected rabbi of his day. Gamaliel was of the sect known as the Pharisees, and Saul also became a Pharisee at a young age and advanced quickly because of his zeal for and knowledge of the law of God, which the Lord Lord had delivered to the people of Israel through his servant Moses. As a Pharisee, Saul opposed the church. He believed Christians who preached the gospel were leading Jews astray by teaching that it was no longer necessary to obey the law of Moses. And because he believed they were dishonoring God and leading Jews astray, he fiercely persecuted Christians. Saul believed he was honoring God by persecuting Christians. In the beginning of Acts 8, we read how Saul gave approval to the execution of Stephen simply because Stephen boldly preached the gospel. Saul stood by giving approval as Stephen was stoned to death. And his anger toward Christians continued to rage even after the death of Stephen. As we read in the beginning of Acts 9, that he continued to breathe out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Think about this. He was so appalled by the message they proclaimed. He was so appalled by the teaching of the gospel that he felt compelled to persecute Christians unto death. The very existence of the church was unacceptable to Saul. But all that changed very suddenly when he traveled to the city of Damascus to round up all the Christians there to throw them into prison. And as he traveled to Damascus, the man who was perhaps the chief persecutor of the church was confronted by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And we learn about his conversion in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 19. And I want to read these verses because they are relevant for our text this morning. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 19. 
Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. When the Lord appeared to Ananias in a vision and told him about Saul's conversion, Ananias was a little skeptical, to say the least. I can only imagine how that conversation went. Lord, he's a bad dude. I think you got the wrong guy. Can't be that one. Send me to somebody else. It was hard for Ananias to believe that Saul had converted because of the way he violently persecuted the church, Today, there are many individuals, terrorist groups, and governments that are violently persecuting the church around the world. Could you imagine if a known member of ISIS knocked on the door of a small house church in Iraq and said, hey, everyone, I'm a Christian now. Can I join you? That might be tough for them to believe straight away. God loves to save unlikely people to demonstrate his power and his grace. Saul's conversion should give us confidence that God saves sinners in Christ Jesus regardless of the magnitude of their sin. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. His conversion also impresses on us that becoming an apostle was not his idea, nor was it the idea of any man. Clearly, it was Christ himself who called Paul into his service. Paul reminded the Galatians of this truth. He said, I'm an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You see, he was being criticized and undermined by false teachers. Unfortunately, the Galatians were giving ear to the false teachers. And at the outset of his letter, he reminded them why they could trust him rather than give in to the false teachers. It is important for us to understand that the apostles played a unique role in church history. 
In Ephesians 2.20, we read that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. In an article in Ligonier, we read, in the ancient culture, the Greek word apostolos, from which we get apostle, could refer to, among other things, admirals, generals, and passports. Basically, it referred to one with credentials, one who was appointed by the emperor to speak for the emperor. To disobey the apostolos would be to disobey the emperor himself. Thus, to disobey the new covenant apostles would be to disobey the teaching of our new covenant mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. At his ascension, he appointed a select group of men to be the foundation of the church as he is the cornerstone. These men gave us new covenant special revelation once and for all, and upon their death, the office of the apostle ceased. The apostles, including Paul, were appointed by Jesus to be his messengers to declare his gospel with authority. Paul was given authority from Jesus to proclaim the gospel. The purpose of reminding the Galatians of his authority was not to lord it over them. It was not to say, hey, look, you guys need to get in line and follow me because I have authority. No, the purpose of reminding them of his authority was to give them confidence in the message he proclaimed. He wanted them to remind them of the authority he had been given to proclaim this message, to proclaim the true message, so that they would not turn away and believe a false message. And what we see is that Paul's authority to proclaim the true gospel is a major theme in Galatians. His authority to preach the gospel was meant to help the Galatians have certainty regarding the truth of how we are saved. The Lord also intends to encourage us in this way. We too are meant to have certainty regarding the true gospel and our salvation because of the authority the Lord gave Paul. When we read the letters that Paul wrote, we can be certain that he is preaching the true gospel because Jesus authorized him to do so. I recently heard someone say, yeah, I believe that Jesus was enlightened, but not the other writers of Scripture. And that's a common thing that people say. I mean, that's not, that's, that people say that all, all the time. But Jesus wouldn't agree with that. Jesus would not agree with that sentiment because he gave the apostles the authority to proclaim the message he wanted them to proclaim. And therefore, we can trust this message. We can trust it is the true gospel. We have the authority to proclaim the gospel in so much as we proclaim the message that was proclaimed by the apostles because that is the message that Jesus gave them and authorized them to proclaim. And therefore, we can have confidence. We can be certain this truly is the gospel that we are called to believe. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. He was an enemy of Christianity. He rejected the gospel message. He persecuted the church. Then he became a devoted preacher of the gospel and a leader of the church. And his conversion is well attested. Gary Habermas writes, This point is well documented, reported by Paul himself, as well as Luke, Clement of Rome, Polycarp, Tertullian, Dionysius of Corinth, and Origen. Therefore, we have early, multiple, and firsthand testimony that Paul converted from being a staunch opponent of Christianity to one of its greatest proponents. 
Even non-Christian historians will agree with this. There was a dramatic conversion in Paul's life from being an opponent of Christianity to being a preacher of the gospel. And moreover, after his conversion, he was willing to suffer and die for Jesus. Throughout history, many people have died for their sincerely held beliefs. And that's not just true of Christianity. Many people have died for their sincerely held beliefs. Sadly, many people have died for their sincerely held wrong beliefs. And what we see is that people die for their beliefs that have been passed down to them. Traditions and beliefs have been passed down to people, and many people have taken up the cause from different beliefs, have been willing to die for those beliefs. But here's what is different with Paul. He wasn't merely willing to die for beliefs that had been passed on to him, that had been handed down. No. He claimed to have a first-hand encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm a Christian because Jesus appeared to me and spoke to me. He said, I am an apostle because Jesus spoke to me and commissioned me. Do you see the difference there? If what he said wasn't true, then he suffered and died for a lie, not merely a sincerely held wrong belief. In other words, if what he said wasn't true, then he gave his life, all his time, energy, and resources, was willing to suffer terribly and repeatedly, and was likely martyred all for a lie. It is not uncommon for someone, for people to die for their sincerely held wrong beliefs, but it is uncommon for someone to die for a flat-out lie when there is no good reason for them to do so. I make this point because just as Paul wanted the Galatians to trust his authority, I too want us to trust his authority to proclaim the true gospel. We can be certain that he was an apostle. There's no other good explanation for his conversion. There's no other good explanation for why he went from being an opponent to a proponent. There's no good reason why he was willing to suffer time and time again. Physical beatings, imprisonments, ridicule. He suffered all of it. And then was willing to die. There's just no other good explanation other than Jesus Christ appeared to him, saved him, and appointed him to be an apostle. He had authority to proclaim the gospel. And in verses 3 through 5, Paul succinctly spoke to the heart of the gospel. He said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace were themes that Paul wrote about extensively because of their centrality to the gospel. Paul desired and prayed that the Galatians would continue to receive and walk in the grace and peace that only comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Christ that believers are showered with God's grace and peace. Because of Christ, God delights to give us grace we do not deserve and peace we would not otherwise have. Paul loved 
talking about God's grace. He never got over the grace that God had shown him in Christ decades after he was saved, having endured all kinds of afflictions. He never stopped marveling at God's grace. In one of his later letters, 1 Timothy, he said this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. When he wrote that sentence, he had probably been a Christian for close to 30 years. He didn't say, look at what I have been doing for 30 years. Look at my obedience. Look at my sacrifices. Look at how I have done it the right way. Yeah, I was a persecutor of the church. That was a long time ago. Look at what I've been doing for the last 30 years. No, he said, I am the foremost of sinners. You see, he understood God's grace, and he understood that he was justified by faith, and he understood that because of God's grace, he was justified by faith, and because he was justified by faith, he enjoyed freedom in Christ. He could be honest about the fact that he was a sinner. He didn't have to try to hide it. He didn't have to try to cover it up. He didn't have to try to prove to people that he was super spiritual, that he didn't make mistakes, that he didn't fall short. He was free. He was free to say, I am a terrible sinner. That is the freedom in Christ that we have when we understand his grace. When we understand that we are justified by faith because of his grace. See, Paul thought about God's grace. He rejoiced in it. He prayed for it, and he wrote about it. He had a deep understanding that no matter how bad his circumstances were, God had dealt with him in a way that was immeasurably better than he deserved. Brothers and sisters, do you know that, God, that in Christ, God has dealt with you in a way that is far better than you deserve? We would do well to remember that because of our sin, the only thing we deserve is eternity in hell. We know that God gives us immeasurably better than we deserve because in Jesus Christ, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus gave himself for our sins. And this gets right to the heart of the gospel. And we know this because when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper the night before he died, we read, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gave himself on the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we can receive the forgiveness of our sins. And when we consider what we deserve and consider what has been given us, we will not be able to help but sing God's grace. When we truly embrace God's grace, we will be free from the need to justify ourselves. We don't need to justify ourselves. We don't need to prove ourselves. We are free to say, I am a terrible sinner. God has saved me in spite of myself in spite of what I've done. We can focus more on God's grace rather than our righteous deeds or our acts of obedience. We also see that through the forgiveness of our sins, we have peace with God. In Romans 5.1, Paul wrote, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the definitions of the word justified is the act of clearing someone of transgression. Through Jesus Christ, we have been cleared of our transgressions. We have all sinned. Our sins are many. Our sins render us deserving of God's judgment. Yet by faith, we have been cleared of our transgressions. We have been forgiven of all of our sins, and therefore we have peace with God. We have peace. By nature we are as enemies, but through Christ we have been reconciled and enjoy peace with him. He has forgiven us of our sins, cleared our transgressions to deliver us from this present evil age. And we do experience evil in this world in its present form. We see evil all around us. We experience evil in many different ways. We know that this present age is marked and characterized by evil. But the wonderful news of the gospel is that he will deliver us from this present evil age once and for all. He is with us here and now. We enjoy his presence here and now. And we also look forward to when he will ultimately and finally deliver us from this present evil age, whereby he will welcome us into his glorious kingdom, where we will be free from sin and sorrow and evil and pain for all of eternity. He is delivering us. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. This is the gospel, and he is doing this all for his glory. How amazing is it that he is saving us and reconciling us and blessing us for his glory. Oh, that is wonderful good news. So in these verses, Paul provides us with a succinct summary of the heart of the gospel. If you are not a Christian, we are so glad that you are here. Our greatest hope and our prayer for you is that you will come to know Jesus Christ that you will understand that God has made you in his image to know him, to love him, to obey him, to glorify him, to enjoy him forever. But sadly, we've all sinned against God. We've all rebelled against his good purposes for us. And because of that, we are under his judgment. We deserve hell. But God in his mercy, in his kindness, has provided a way for us to escape the judgment we deserve. And he has done so at great cost to himself. He has done so by providing Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, terrible sinners, like you and me. And he did so by living a perfectly sinless life. Then dying on the cross as a substitute, taking the punishment we deserve in our place so that we can receive the forgiveness of our sins. And he rose from the grave, conquering death appeared to many, and then ascended into heaven where he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. Friend, the good news is that if you turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're not a Christian, we urge you, believe in Christ, be saved, receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life. Know God as your loving, perfect, heavenly Father, let today be the day of your salvation. If you are a Christian, oh, I hope you cherish this gospel. I hope you revel in this gospel. 
I hope it never grow old, grows old for you. I hope you think about it and meditate on it and reflect upon it day after day after day. In his introduction, Paul had a burden. He had a point he was trying to impress upon the Galatians that would set the tone for the whole letter. He was saying, I have been appointed and authorized by Jesus Christ to be an apostle to proclaim the true gospel so that you will enjoy grace and peace through the forgiveness of your sins to the glory of God the Father. Paul wanted them to understand and believe the gospel. They could trust him because his message and the authority to proclaim the message came directly from Jesus. The book of Galatians is incredibly relevant for us today. How can we be certain of the gospel? Can we really enjoy the grace and peace that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the forgiveness of our sins? The answer is yes. We trust and rely on the word of God because he spoke through the apostles and prophets. Lucky Mogacane wrote, The true church of Jesus Christ is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That foundation is the word they proclaimed and wrote, recorded for us. The modern church must go back to the apostolic word of God rather than running after modern apostles. The church falls or stands on the word of God. As hard as it is to believe that we are saved by grace through faith, we do believe because the apostles proclaim this message with the authority given them by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, may we be a people who do not waver from believing the true gospel, and may we never cease to be surprised by our own salvation. May we be a people who never get over our own salvation. May we have a deep-seated gratitude for the grace God has shown us in Christ. And may he guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus that we never slip into self-justification, that we never slip into self-righteousness, but instead we cherish his grace, understand that we are justified by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can trust your word. We thank you that we can trust the gospel message that we read in your word. We pray that you would strengthen our faith We pray that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray that we will not waver from the truth of the gospel. But we pray that you will fortify and enrich our belief in the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that we will be people who walk in freedom through the power of your Holy Spirit. We humbly ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.